Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile. They're factories of growth, they lead in innovation, and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies, and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. In this episode of Mid-Market Matters, I'm joined by a really interesting guest, Michael Gorton. Michael is the t- founder of Teladoc, the CEO at Back to Space, and he's an author and speaker as well, and he's bio is incredibly interesting. So I'm actually going to start there. Michael, firstly, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Greetings from Texas. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're talking to Michael uh, from Texas at the moment. And uh, look, I think your background and some of the things that you've done with Back to Space and some of the other work at Teladoc and so on is really interesting. I'd love to hear a little bit about how did you end up where you are today? You've got some really interesting experiences. Maybe give us a bit of background. Sure. So um, Teladoc, I think, is an interesting story because it was born on the slopes of Kilimanjaro in Africa. Uh, I had just sold a company called Internet Global, and I called a bunch of my friends and said, who wants to climb Kilimanjaro? And uh, one of my very close friends, uh, who was an electrical engineer, medical doctor named Byron Brooks, decided he wanted to go along with several others. And And during the entire climb, he was talking about this idea that became Teladoc. So, you know, I think in Australia, you have this uh, saying also, but the, the term unicorn is a company that just is, goes off the charts. And so yes, I, like we do. Tell, yeah. <laughs> I like to tell people that uh, there really are unicorns in, uh, in um, uh, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about... Uh, Teladoc, health, healthcare services, obviously. Tell us a little bit about Teladoc and what it did and how you built that up. Well, in the beginning, it was pretty controversial. The, the business model was for a doctor to be able to speak to a patient telephonically. Nothing terribly surprising about that. But in our particular model, it was patient-assigned cross-coverage. So uh, before Teladoc, usually if you wanted to see a doctor, you would go see them. Or if it was after hours, you'd call your doctor's office and and the doctor would have somebody assigned to talk to you. Mm. It wasn't a very effective model. Uh, The doctors didn't get paid. And and sometimes the after hours physician would call you back or sometimes they wouldn't. So what we decided to do was build a whole new model based on what's now called telemedicine. And uh, so you could call after hours or or during the regular work hours, if you were just minor issues and at the office or driving or whatever, the doctor would call you back telephonically. But the Mm. regulatory bodies hated it. And so, you know, our favorite way of telling the story is in the beginning, you know, we thought we were going to change the world and the regulatory bodies told us we were going to go to prison. So we didn't go to prison, but um, but it, but it's even for an entrepreneur, that's a scary thing to hear. Absolutely. So interesting business. I mean, currently in Australia with COVID and so on, the normal way of seeing a doctor now is electronically. You don't go into the the uh, the you know the, the clinic. It's it's all done remotely, either by phone or FaceTime or you know Zoom, etc. So that's now become quite a normal way of operating. 
But it wasn't when you introduced it, right? No, it wasn't. And um, and it was scary for the doctors and it was scary for me. I, you know, we had sheriffs coming into our office all the time uh, from the various 50 states in the U.S., uh, their board of medical examiners demanding us to explain what we were doing. And yeah. um, and for the most part, you know, without hiring a lot of lawyers, we convinced them that what we were doing was good. But there was there were a lot of battles and a lot of uh, medical doctors who got called in for practicing telemedicine and qu- people questioned whether it w- was ethical or appropriate until COVID. And, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, in March, the world changed. All of a sudden, everybody loved it. And uh, for me, the epiphany came in in early March. I got a an email from a former Surgeon General of the United States who said to me, thank you for building Teladoc. It's going to save tens of thousands of lives in this pandemic alone and millions into the future. Wow. And, and so, you know, we went from, in, in the world of entrepreneurs, Craig, people, uh, the investors always ask, what keeps you up at night? Well, you can guess what kept me up at night. It was the next mm. sheriff coming in, you know, serving us with papers. <laughs> Um, but so it, it's it's truly uh, heartening when suddenly all of the boards are saying what a great thing this is, and and so and that mm. happened in March. So you know, recently, that's awesome. So after Teladoc, I mean, you are really a serial entrepreneur. After Teladoc, you went on to Principal Solar. That's which correct. ended up providing electricity for approximately 70,000 American homes. Um, tell us a little bit about that story. Well, in, in the very early days of my business career, I worked as an engineer, believe it or not, building a nuclear power plant. And so I understood that really well. And back in the days, uh, the late 80s and early 90s, when I was involved with that project, we never would have guessed that solar would ever get to the point where it could compete with natural gas or or any other form of energy. And the reality yeah. is that happened. Uh, the, the production of silicon as a solar cell just got cheaper and cheaper year after year. And um, it's now a, a viable, it's it's still not quite as, as reliable or inexpensive as natural gas, but it makes a great backup because I know this is the case in Australia. It's certainly the case in Texas as well. We use the most electricity during the daytime when it's hot. And yes. um, and guess what? That's when the sun is generating the most electricity. So we built uh, solar plants that were square kilometers, uh, panels, you know, almost as far as the eye could see uh, that, that generated electricity and put it back into the grid and 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 did it economically. That's fantastic. And and obviously that is now also a massive industry worldwide. It's certainly large here in Australia and becoming more and more important as we look at generating electricity without using coal and so on. Um, that company's still running and still you're still involved with it, or you it's, you, you've moved on. It's public now. The the uh, the power plants are all still running. Um, the public entity, after we finished building those power plants, we rolled it over, and it's about to produce another new uh, another new company. But you know, here's the best way of thinking about solar: it's a rock that turns sunlight into electricity. 
You know, <laughs> so, you know, coal is a rock that uh, produces electricity, but once you burn it, it's gone. Uh, but mm, solar mm. cells, you know, every day when the sun rises, um, it's producing electricity. They do it again. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty awesome. That's fantastic. Um, so after Principal Solar, you went on to Internet Global, um, which was a the number one ranked internet provider in North Texas. Well, so the timing is wrong. I, I actually built Internet Global before Teladoc. Oh, uh, before that was, okay. That, yeah, that was the company that I sold and funded all my friends going to Kilimanjaro. So uh, right, Internet okay. <laughs> Internet Global helped us go unicorn hunting on Kilimanjaro. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. And I'm really interested. The The next sort of thing that I've got here talking about is a company called Back to Space. And as soon as I started to read the bio here, it talks about You've got people on the team, including Buzz Aldrin, Charlie yeah. Duke, some very, very well-known astronauts. Um, tell us a bit about Back to Space. What is it and what is it focused on doing? Well, I think um, the, the world has changed, at least in the States, in the last 25 years. So the, the States used to be the number one producer of engineers in the world, and now we're in right. fourth place. Uh, not surprising that China would move ahead, not surprising that India would move ahead. Both of them have three, four times our population. But Russia sure. is now ahead of us. And um, Russia has half of our population. And uh, my 15-year-old showed me a study yesterday that was taken for kids in high school in Russia and the United States. What does the average kid in Russia want to be when he grows up? An astronaut. What does the average kid in the United States want to be? A movie star or a YouTube um, uh, promoter. So um, we're doing something wrong here, and and mm. I think the the fascination and passion are missing in science. You know, if you've ever taken a science class, a lot of our um, science and engineering professors are just flat boring, and so we're trying to find ways to make it exciting. One of the things we're doing right now is we're building a map of the moon. So not a round one, like a globe, but a flat one that you can walk on. And um, I want to say um, it's about 10,000 square meters. Wow. It's That's huge. massive. It's yeah. huge. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and it starts as a concrete slab. So, you know, we, we lay it out, we pour all the cement, and, um, and then we have to paint it. And in the beginning, we thought, OK, we'll bring in a bunch of art students to paint. But then we said, no, you know, we'd like to go big or go home around here. And so we said, let's invent a whole new kind of printer. So, um, you know, if you have Roomba vacuum cleaners there, you can imagine this little thing roaming around on the floor, um, vacuuming your floor. So what, what we're going to do is we're building a uh, an inkjet printer on wheels that can paint something as massive as a 10,000 square meter uh, piece of concrete. And then when it's done, we can deploy it to paint other things like parking lots and runways and um, you know, you name it, any kind of surface that's huge, we will deploy that printer to, to, to paint. Wow, that's a fascinating project. And you, you, the idea with the map of the moon is around education. It's around educating people that science is not boring and space is not boring and it's, 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 it's a whole new era. 
So, you know, the um, people that study the Apollo mission history know that mm. those astronauts had some uh, pretty difficult things they had to do when they were on the moon. And um, we're going to we're going to do a lot of the same. Uh, we're going to have a virtual reality simulator that actually makes you weigh what you would weigh on the moon. So um, if you weigh uh, 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 60 kilograms on Earth on the moon, you would only weigh 10 kilograms. Yeah. And so yeah. It, what we're going to do is we're going to build a system that is so sophisticated that even NASA will like it. And you'll put your you'll put a headset on so you'll look around and all you'll see is the moon around you and you'll put a vest on that will lift you up so you weigh one sixth of your earth weight. And then we'll give you challenges. And so what we're doing is we're taking um, science and engineering and mixing it together in an adventure where you have to solve problems and you have to do things that are fun, uh, make quick decisions. And uh, so there's gonna be some gameplay there. The other thing that we're going to do is on this giant concrete slab, you'll be able to walk out with, a, with some virtual reality glasses or even with your smartphone and step through a portal, so to speak, and be on the surface of the moon. And you could see Neil and Buzz on the moon and get a selfie with them or, or uh, wander around and look at the footprints or, or explore the uh, lunar module. Uh, so the, a lot of it is going to be designed to be fun. So people will come and they'll come back. And the great news about a giant concrete slab that's painted with the moon is that we're gonna overlay it with software. And software you can update every day, and so we can have new adventures mm, and yeah. experiences. But that's fantastic. Anything, anything that's that big, you know, we'll have concerts out there, and so people will walk away from the concert saying, "Yeah, I went to a concert on the moon." Um, we'll have <laughs> we'll have weddings there, so you can not only get married on the moon, but we'll have cabins. the The facility is out near a lake in Jacksboro, Texas. Um, in fact, it's right on the lake. And so we'll have cabins so you can get married on the moon and then have your honeymoon in one of the cabins right next to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. We'd love to bring something like that to Australia. That's, oh, uh, that's well, very bring, impressive. The, bring our Australian brothers up here. We'd love to see them. I will definitely come and visit when we're able to do that again. That's now on my list because I, I find that whole thing fascinating. I've just finished watching the uh, Apple TV series for all mankind, which interestingly in your introduction, you talked about Russia, you know, that yeah. that's predicated on the fact that the Russians actually won the space race. Um, right. And it's a really interesting, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a really interesting sort of series around what the world would look like had that been the case. So there's, so, I, I, I can tell you a really great story because um, mm. the, the first mission to the moon was actually Apollo 8. So most people will say Apollo 11 because that's the first time we landed. But yeah. Apollo 7, when it went up, they were testing all the equipment and NASA sort of secretly said to the astronauts, get 100% of your work done. We're not gonna tell anybody, but if you get 100% done in Apollo 7, Apollo 8 will go to the moon. And so wow. what did those guys do? They got 110% done. They finished everything, yeah. had time left over and said, give us more. And so Apollo 8 um, on Christmas 1968 went to the moon and circled and then came home. And uh, the, the astronaut uh, who went was Jim Lovell. Um, and uh, he was there with um, Anders and Borman, but Lovell I've spoken with. 
And so you may remember Lovell because Tom Hanks Apollo played 13. in Apollo yeah. 13, right? Yeah, um, so, absolutely. So Lovell went in Apollo 8, and then he went again in Apollo 13. So I, um, last year, I, I was sitting with um, Jim Lovell, and I said, okay, in 1968, we still thought the Soviets were going to win the race to the moon, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, when did you know that we were going to beat them? And he said, about halfway. And I went, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we knew they had faster rockets than us. And so we just kept looking back. <laughs> so. That's a great story. It's an interesting project. I'd love to hear more about that as it develops. It's certainly uh, pretty interesting. So I want to talk now about um, some of the lessons you've learned. As I said, you are absolutely a serial entrepreneur, having started and run 13 different businesses. You've also done a whole stack of other things that we'll talk about personally in a moment. But I'm really interested in in sort of your focus. You've said here, mid-market business is where I always focus. My goal is to get my startups to this level, then find capable entities to hand the business off to. Why is that so important to you? What is it about that that makes things work? Well, I think, you know, um, what makes things work um, is, is to me, it's really three things. The, the first one is you have to have a plan. And so think about Teladoc. In the beginning, when they told us we were going to go to prison if we built this company, we could have believed that the plan was a bad one. Um, we were either crazy or right. And it turns out we were right. But, um, but you have to start with a plan. And if you have a plan, then you should have the next thing, which is people who can help, help you implement. So no person can do it on their own. And so what, you know, good leaders in, in early stage growth companies need to find people that are smarter than themselves, surround yourself with these smarter people, give them tasks and listen to them when they give you advice. So first one is uh, plan. The second one is people. And the last one is persistence. You know, as when you're growing a company, you're going to get knocked down and kicked in the teeth a lot, sometimes several times a day. And um, you just have to figure out how do I get back up and do it again over and over and over again. So, you know, those are the three ingredients I think you have to have plan, people and persistence. Fantastic. Um, so I just want to talk now in a bit more detail about some of the philosophy behind your business and how you've been so successful. Um, you talk about a business model and something that will resonate and grow. Tell us a bit more about sort of how you've built that into your business models going forward. Well, so, um, you know, I can contrast a couple of things. At, 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 my, at this point in my career, I've built enough successful things, so I get to be very choosy about what I want to do. And, you know, we talked a little bit about Back to Space, and to me, that's a, um, it's a passion, but it's also, uh, it's also something that I think is, is going to change the world and make a difference. And, um, and Teladoc was the same thing. You know, I kind of felt like in, in the world of healthcare, we're, we are surrounded by year after year, the price of, of medicine going up and our access going down. And I wanted to try and find ways to fix that. That's what Teladoc did. And so I think if I step back, at least me personally, if, if I'm thinking about building something, I want it to be able to change the world. And I'm a capitalist. Most people in Texas are. So change yeah. the world and make money for my stakeholders. 
And, um, you know, I'll give you a really good example. My second, uh, the, my second investor at Teladoc is one of these guys who buys something and then never does, he, he just never sells it. So I called him a few months ago. He invested $25,000 in, in Teladoc in the very beginning. And I asked him, hey, Gary, have, have you sold your Teladoc stock yet? And he said, no, I still own all of it. And I said, what's it worth now? And he said, he, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like $5,132.74 or, you know, that's, <laughs> so, so, you know, a 200X increase. And so, you know, you, you try and find these things that you think are going to make an impact and make money. Yeah, great. You talk about people a lot as well. You, obviously, you're talking about you know the types of people that are entrepreneurs and the types that aren't, and also retaining that talent. You know, once you get good people, how do you lock those people in and get them focused? Right. Um, you've, yeah, I'm interested to hear more about your people, your sort of strategy. You said before, plan, people, persistence. People's obviously a key part of that. Tell yep. us a bit more about how you sort of approach that. Well, uh, so I just I, I just wrote a book last year called Broken Handoff. And um, in the beginning, the, the, the goal was to understand what happens when, when entrepreneurs bring venture capital in and why do, why do entrepreneurs call venture capital vultures? And what we realized was you have two very different kinds of people. Um, you have entrepreneurs who are just the rough and tough kind of outback kind of guys that um, that no matter what happens, they find a solution. And sometimes they have great college educations, but most of the time they're, they're just self-taught, rugged individuals. The venture capital people tend to hire the Harvard MBAs and the Wharton scholars and, and, um, and you know, they're the smartest people in the room. And so you put these two very different kinds of personalities together and what do you get? problems. And, yeah. and so, you know, what, what we found, what, what I found when I was researching the book was why do entrepreneurs call these guys uh, vultures? Cause they think they're trying to crush them. And, um, and then from the, from the venture side, why do the venture people invest in companies and 70% of them fail because their Wharton scholars don't really understand the same thing that the, uh, that the entrepreneurs don't understand. And that is, it's all about people. Um, mm. Good communication skills are what really makes a company go. And everybody forgets that. You know, it, I, I don't know if you have this in Australia, but in the States, people think of corporations as this evil beast, and it's not. It's a bunch of people that are trying to do something, that are trying to accomplish something. And, and I think if you, if, if you always get back to that, we're, we're dealing with people we're, we're, um, and there's personalities and feelings and all these other things. And if, if, if you keep the, that on the forefront, then you solve a lot more problems. Yeah, okay. That's, that's a really good um, segue into, I guess, your next point, which talks about the cheerleader and people focusing on delivering to allow the team to, to sort of work behind you. You're obviously very passionate about empowering people and recruiting smart people around you. Um, has that always worked well for you? It has. In fact, you know, when when I'm building a company, what, if if I have people that are important to me, and I do seventy five or eighty percent of the work, 
um, and that person is important to me, I give them 100% of the credit because, you know, we like our paychecks, uh, but more than anything else, we like being appreciated for what we do. And I think that yeah. I think that great leadership doesn't stand in the spotlight. It puts the people around you in the spotlight because you can't do everything by yourself. But if but if everybody and, and if everybody around you knows you're going to steal a spotlight every time, then they're not going to work as hard. And so essentially what you do is you make sure that they stay in the spotlight. You make sure that they understand, you know, they can go get their job done. But your job as the CEO or leader of the company is to go find the resources that they need to do their jobs well and then give them credit for it when they do it. Fantastic. Um, lastly, before we uh, we'll come up to a few key points in a moment and summarize a few things, but I'm interested in Broken Handoff. I've actually downloaded your book on the uh, the Apple Bookstore. Uh-huh. Um, my business is entirely focused on succession and exit planning. So we help business owners get ready, prepare and implement an exit strategy. This book talks about how important that is and what you've seen happen. I think you, you know, your introduction says more than 70% of business owners fail to successfully exit. Tell us a bit more about Broken Handoff and some of the key things. You, the, the subtitle is Saving Your Assets, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, it's such an important point. I mean, there's a massive transfer of wealth going on at the moment with baby boomers, uh, both in Australia, certainly, and also in the United States and most country, countries around the world, actually. Um, it's a big issue. It is. So, um, again, you know, the in, in the beginning of Broken Handoff, I actually dreamed this idea of, uh, almost 20 years ago when I sold Internet Global uh, because, you know, we spent all of our time and energy building this company and it didn't matter how many times we got knocked down and kicked in the teeth. We never gave up. And then um, venture capital came in, funded the company. And the first time there was a problem, they closed it down. And it was very frustrating for me because I wanted to get back in there and help them fix it. And they didn't want the help. To them, their metric was, you know, uh, of the companies they fund fail. That's how they make money. Um, They want the one Teladoc that's going to produce 200 to 1,000 times uh, return on investment for them. And then they want two companies that are going to do reasonably well. And then seven out of 10 are just flat going to fail and and close down. And that turns out to be a $3.5 trillion a year loss to the world economy those 70% failures. And so, you know, what we thought in the beginning of Broken Handoff, and in the beginning it was, the, the book was one that I was going to tackle on my own. And then I realized that the problem was bigger than me. So I brought in two, two co-authors. But the thing, the thing that we realized was, if we could save one in 10, 10% of those $3.5 trillion in losses, and we could add $350 billion back into the economy every year. So remember a minute ago, I said, you know, I like to find things that um, have an impact and can make mm. money. And so that was the underlying theme with Broken Handoff was, okay, what is the problem? Why are things broken and how can we fix it? And so we spent a great deal of time analyzing it. And I went in the beginning from being, yes, they are vultures to, okay, now I understand what's really happening here. And, 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 and I understand better how we can fix it. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm looking forward to reading it in a bit more detail because obviously very closely 
related to the work that I do. And like you, I understand there is a massive economic and personal, if you're talking about the family that owns the business, um, impact of getting the exit or the succession strategy right. Um, certainly a, an important area. I think you, you know your number of $350 billion, I mean, that's a substantial word, world-changing transformation well, so, to get it right. And Craig, if you think about the, um, the entrepreneur who has built a company that's strong enough to make it through venture capital due diligence, um, they're good. They're really good. Mm. And, and, um, but, the, but, but think about it from your perspective, and every single listener of yours probably can relate to this, and that is you put your blood, sweat, and tears. You've gone out and raised money from your friends and family. They all believed in you, and then you became part of that 70% that failed. And yeah. you, you want to fix it, but your, your money is dried up, and your, and your support arm, that VC, has said, no, it's an unmitigated disaster for you, whereas for the VC, it's just part of their metric. You know, that's how that's how 70% fail. That's okay. We've got one over here that's going to give us a, a thousand X returns. Exactly. So they balance out. Yeah. But as you said, for that family or that entrepreneur that started that business, that's devastation. Correct. Yeah. It's a very different world. Um, before we wrap things up, I just wanted to, to ask you two things. Firstly, I wanted to find out a little bit about, I'm reading here that you've run 18 marathons, you're working on your third degree black belt in karate, you've completed a 4,800 mile bike ride across the states, and you've climbed the highest point of elevation in all 50, well, no, you haven't climbed all 50 states right. yet. You've completed 41, but you're targeting all 50 states. Correct. That's correct. What is going on? How do you have time for all this? <laughs> well, you know, you know what they say. Um, if you really want something done, find the busiest person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but but I'll tell you, you know, in a in about a month and a half, I'm going to announce a new company that I'm working with. And um, you know, we have a saying in the States, I bet you'd have something similar in, in Australia where um speaking about age, we say 60 is the new 40. Right. Yep. And yep. um and so um, I'm working on something right now that um, we're going to show everybody that 100 is the new 40 and 120 is the new 50. And so, you know, how can you how can you live to be 100 years old and still have the health and vitality of a 40 year old? And um, we're going to start showing the world how to do that here in, in about a year. And, um, and, you know, part of it is the things that you just said, you know, you have to stay physically fit, you have to watch the things that you're eating. And, and so why do I do those things? Uh, because 100 is the new 40. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, before we wrap up, Michael, um, I'm after one big tip for business owners to be more successful. What would you say the number one thing is to get right? Persistence. There is a there is a great uh, there's a great saying by uh, one of the former U.S. presidents named Calvin Coolidge, and I'm not going to do it on the air right now, but but I suggest people go look up Calvin Coolidge persistence. When uh, earlier when I said you know all things are possible in the end, it's all about the plan, the people, and persistence. And so what I would tell you and and all of the listeners is um, go find that. Uh, persistence quote and post it up on your wall. I have it online, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a way of life. 
Fantastic. I'm going to look that up straight away. Um, thank you very much for joining us. What a fascinating, sto- well, number of different stories, but uh, overall a really interesting journey through your history and the things that you've done, but also the lessons that we've learned around business and certainly plan, people and persistence. Michael, thank you for joining us. It's been great to catch up with you and uh, I wish you all the best. Hope you're staying safe over there. And uh, I promise next time I come to the United States, I am coming to check out the moon. I look forward to seeing you then. And when you're here, um, we'll get you some of the best barbecue in the world. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Craig West, keep doing the things you're doing. You're making a difference. So we appreciate you. Thank you, Michael. Good to catch up. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Mid-Market Matters. I hope you found this episode helpful and informative for your business. To find out more, go to midmarketmatters.com.au. And to download other episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.